Please turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. Oftentimes when we hear a sermon on the topic of prayer, it's in the context of calling people to have a more diligent prayer life. Other times it's used as a means to try to get more people involved in the weekly prayer meeting. And both of these things are good. And their importance, uh, the importance of them ought to be taught on. But I've very rarely uh, seen a sermon on prayer that is preached with the focus being prayer as an element of worship. And so that's our focus this morning. And with that in mind, give your attention now to the reading of God's Word from Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. Be careful for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. Thus far the reading of God's Word, let us now ask His blessing upon it. Heavenly Father, we uh, thank You and praise You that You have given us this Word. This perfect, preserved, pure Word that has not been corrupted through the ages, that has not been twisted or uh, corrupted or, or perverted by Your enemies. But Lord, You have providentially kept this Word pure so that it may instruct us and teach us with definitive authority. And so, Lord, we thank You for this Word which was read. We ask, Lord, that uh, the reading of this Word would not just be simply uh, a vain hearing of it, but it would be conscionable hearing. That we would open our ears and hear it so that it, it sinks deep into our hearts and affects us. Lord, we pray that as we approach the proclamation and preaching of this Word, that Your blessing would be upon the minister. That what is preached today would not be the enticing words of man's wisdom, but would be in the demonstration of the Spirit and of power. Father, we pray that it would not be the words of the minister which are proclaimed today, but the words of God. Let us receive this uh, preached word as it is the very word of God. And let us receive it with gladness and joy so that it shapes us, molds us, affects us, and changes us. Father, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be found pleasing in thy sight, O Lord, my strength 
and my Redeemer. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. No Christian would deny that the Scriptures command the people of God to pray. In fact, this may be uh, one thing in which all Christians of all different backgrounds and denominations hold on to. Most, if not all, Christians would also hold on to the fact that the Scriptures teach that prayer is to be done in corporate worship. That when we gather together as the saints on the Lord's Day, we are to pray. In fact, if you, are to, if you were to look at the Westminster Confession of Faith and the chapter concerning religious worship, you'll see that prayer is listed as the first element of worship. However, what is a point of disagreement among the various different traditions within the whole of Christianity is the way in which prayer is to be done and what it is to contain. There are some churches that have responsive prayers where the minister will read a portion of a prayer and the congregation would respond to another portion of that prayer. Some churches have a set list of prayers that they go through on a regular basis. The most common of this would be the Book of Common Prayer found in the Anglican tradition. Other churches, they uh, do only extemporaneous prayers. Prayers made up on the spot and they allow for a time when the people of the congregation can pray out loud during the service. There are churches which permit women to lead in public prayers within the assembly. And then there are the more far off the walls uh, prayers that are offered in some corners of the Christi- of Christianity like Prayers for the dead or prayers in some unknown tongue. The question we should be asking ourselves when it comes to the topic of prayer as an element of worship ought to be the same that we ask concerning any other element of worship. How has Jehovah commanded this to be done? Remember, the regulative principle of worship is the undergirding principle upon which we are building this theology of worship and its parts. God regulates each element of worship uniquely. And so we must consider that when we come to this topic. So the theme that we'll consider this morning is that the New Testament church is to be a house of prayer. And we'll consider this theme under three heads. First, the basis of prayer. Next, the act of prayer. And then finally, the necessity of prayer. 
If we are to pray and everyone would agree that we are to, then there must be a foundation for our prayers. If prayer is an element of worship, then the basis for prayer must be the exact same basis as any other element of worship. The Scripture alone. It is the Scripture alone that is our only infallible rule of faith and life. And so it is there that we find the basis of prayer. It's the Word of God which regulates our worship And so we must understand that it is the Word of God which regulates our prayer. This is clear from 1 John 5.14. And this is the confidence that we have in Him that if we ask anything according to His will, He heareth us. Prayer must be done according to His will and not ours. And His will is only found in the revealed Word of God. And so prayer must be scriptural. Now this can be done either by using the actual words of Scripture or by making allusions and paraphrases to passages of Scripture. But our prayers must be scriptural. The book of Psalms is a a great place to go in order to pattern your prayers according to Scripture. Yes, the Psalter is a song book, but it's also a book that is full of prayers of every kind uh, for every kind of situation that we face in this life. Psalm 17, verses 7 and 8. Show thy marvelous loving kindness, O thou that savest by thy right hand, them which put their their trust in thee from those that rise up against them. Keep me as the apple of of the eye. Hide me under the shadow of thy wings. Or Psalm 19, verse 14. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Psalm 51 and verses 1 to 4. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according to the multitude of thy tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against Thee, Thee only have I sinned and done evil in Thy sight, that Thou mightest be justified when Thou speakest and be clear when Thou judgest. What about Psalm 86 verses 11 and 12? Teach me Thy way, O Lord. I will walk in Thy truth. Unite my heart to fear Thy name. I will praise Thee, O Lord my God, with all my heart. I will glorify Thy name forevermore. 
And this list could go on and on. We could learn so much about how to pray simply by being immersed in the Word and meditating upon the Psalms. But this does not mean that God regulates uh, prayer in uh, such that only prayers of the Bible can be used. He makes it clear in the Lord's Prayer that this isn't the case. Matthew 6 and verses 9 to 13. After this manner, therefore pray ye, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. This is a pattern for prayer. We're told to pray after this manner. That doesn't mean that these exact words must be prayed. Though there's nothing wrong with saying the Lord's Prayer. The fact that the recording of the Lord's Prayer in Luke differs in the exact wording from the recording in Matthew proves this point. It's not the specific words that are being commanded, that we're being commanded to pray. But what is being commanded is the manner that is set before us. Pray in this way. Pray in this manner. 2 Timothy 1 and verses 1 and 2 is another passage which proves this point. That it can't just be the prayers of Scripture that we're commanded to pray. I exhort thee therefore, first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and for all that are in authority, that we may lead quiet and a peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. How can intercessions be made for all men if we are to only use the prayers that are found in the Scripture? How can we pray for kings and all that are in authority if we never specifically pray for those in authority because they're not mentioned in the prayers of Scripture. We can't. This is one reason why the strict use of liturgical prayers ought not be done in the church. They neglect the clear scriptural command that is given here in this passage. It is sheer laziness to use these uh, liturgical prayers as your regular prayers and to use them as the prayers of corporate worship. It's lazy. It takes no investment into the lives of your brothers and sisters to use those prayers. But you're called to make intercession on behalf of all men. takes no careful understanding of the hurts and struggles and needs of the people to use those liturgical prayers. 
It's laziness and it's negligence. Friends, you must take great care to ensure that your prayers are regulated by the Word of God and that they are according to His will as revealed in the Scriptures. To frivolously offer up prayers that have no basis in the Word of God is to offer worship outside of what He has commanded and thus it is strange fire. One Presbyterian minister writes, it would be better to spend an hour in the Word discovering whether what we desire is according to God's revealed will and five minutes praying a biblical prayer than to spend all day assaulting heaven for something God has not promised to give. How much time are you spending in the Word to know what the Lord's will is? How much of the Word have you hidden in your heart in order to use it as a framework upon which you build your prayers? Without this, our prayers often descend into vain repetitions and stuttering and stammering over our words. Take the time to collect your thoughts and your petitions and weigh them against the Word of God before bringing them to Him. Let the Scriptures be your guide in this sacred duty which belongs to all believers. For the Scriptures are the basis of prayer. And with the firm foundation of the Word of God as the basis of prayer, let us now turn our attention to the act of prayer. Look at our passage in Philippians again. Be careful for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. It is by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving that we make our requests known unto God. That's what prayer is. The larger catechism says, prayer is an offering up of our desires unto God in the name of Christ by the help of His Spirit with confession of our sins and thankful acknowledgement of His mercies. Prayer ought to include adoration or a devout celebration of the perfections of God and of His works. It ought to include confession of our sins to God. And then thanksgiving for the favors which we have received from Him. And then it ought to include petition for those things which we need. Oftentimes, the acronym ACTS is used, A-C-T-S. And it's used to show what should be done in our prayers. Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. Our prayers must be filled with adoration for Jehovah, for the works of His hands, for the mighty things which He has done. 
Pray as the psalmist did in Psalm 8. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth, who has set thy glory above the heavens. Follow the pattern of prayer that Christ Jesus gives you in Matthew 6. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. We have the apostolic example found in Acts 4:24. And when they heard that they uh, when they heard that, they lifted up their voice to God with one accord and said, "Lord, thou art God, which has made heaven and earth and the sea and all that in them is." If you are truly are amazed at your God, if you are truly standing in awe of His wondrous deeds, then your prayers ought to reflect it with deep adoration for Him. Next, confess your sins to God. 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Examine the depths of your heart. Search out the hidden places and see what sin remains and confess it to the Lord. Christ says in the Lord's Prayer, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And when we consider prayer as part of corporate worship of the church, confession of sin ought to also include confession of corporate sins. We ought to ask ourselves as a group of believers how we have sinned against the Lord corporately and confess those sins as well. While we as a congregation try to be in accord with the will of God, we must also be ever reflecting upon how we must be reformed according to His Word. We must be seeing what needs to be reformed according to His Word. And when reformation takes place, when previous sins are corrected, we must confess those sins as a people unto the Lord. We must also confess the sins of the nation. Praying for those who are in positions in the magistrate that they would repent of our national sins and turn unto Christ. This is what is meant by that petition, Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Our prayers must be uh, with thanksgiving. See what the Lord has done in your life and in this congregation and in the nation and give thanks to Him for His grace and His mercy. If you've been forgiven of your sins, you should be thankful for that. And your prayers should reflect that thanksgiving. Daniel Ritchie writes, if prayer is the means by which we ask God for His blessing upon us, 
and it is right and proper that we return thanks to God, uh, then it is right and proper that we return thanks to God when we receive these blessings. So when the Lord instructed us to ask God for our daily bread, it is noteworthy that He also intended us to give thanks for it when we receive it. And finally, our prayers ought to make our requests and desires of our hearts known through supplication. We are to let our requests be made known unto God, as the Apostle Paul tells us. Ask, and it shall be given to you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you, as Christ Jesus says. Remember, these requests must be made according to the will of God. He does not promise to give you whatever you want. He does not promise to give you every vain desire that you have. You can, you can pray for more money or for a nicer car or that your favorite sports team would win the game, but God is under no obligation to actually even hear those prayers, much less answer them. But if what you are praying is uh, according to to His will, if His will is the desire of your heart, if it is His will that is the primary motivation behind your prayers, then He will hear them. And He will answer them according to His will. Calvin explains, those things which are necessary for us ought to be desired by us from the Lord in such a way that we nevertheless subject our affections to His good pleasure and give thanks while presenting petitions. And unquestionably, gratitude will have this effect upon us that the will of God will be the grand sum of our desires. When anything burdens your spirit, dear friends, you must ease your mind by prayer. When things of this life are perplexing or distressing, you must seek the Lord's direction and support through prayer. It is in prayer that we offer up our desires to God, making them known unto Him. All of this is applicable in both private and corporate prayer. But when we consider prayer done in the, in the worship service, it's quite unique. The whole congregation does not audibly pray during our time of corporate prayer in the service. This would violate that scriptural principle that all things are to be done decently and in order. So how are you, as the congregation, to engage in this element of worship during the service? Well, one thing that can be done is simply praying the prayer of the minister along with him silently as he prays. Remember, 
the minister does not pray as an individual, but as a representative of the people. His prayer is your prayer. At the very least, you should be praying silently in agreement with Him and give your assent to His prayers with a hearty amen at the end of it. You can also pray your own prayer that is alongside the minister. And your prayer ought to be done silently as he prays. But either way, you must be sure that whatever you're doing during the prayer is not a distraction or causing disorder as the prayers are taking place. There's no reason to have outbursts of yes or amen or even grunts of approval during the prayers. Express your your agreement with the prayer with your amen at the end of it. Don't be a distraction during those prayers. And you must also recognize that there's a great danger, a great temptation in times of public prayers to allow your mind to wander. Be diligent and disciplined during this time. Stay focused on prayer. Do not let your mind wander. This is the appointed means of communing with the Lord. Do not let this means of communing with Jehovah slip away because you let your mind wander away. And lastly, I want to spend the remainder of our time together considering the necessity of prayer. Why is all of this necessary? Why do we make these prayers and supplications made known unto the Lord? Well, the quick and easy answer is because Scripture tells us to. We're commanded to pray. To not be a people of prayer is to directly disobey the commands of the Lord. In the verses leading up to the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6, Christ Jesus commands prayer four times. And when thou prayest, but thou, when thou prayest, but when you pray, after this manner, therefore, pray ye. The command of the Lord is crystal clear here in just a few verses. Paul in 1 Thessalonians 5.17 commands, pray without ceasing. We must pray. Occasional prayer is not enough. We must pray without ceasing. Prayer during, uh, just Praying just during times of crisis is insufficient. We must pray without ceasing. We must be constant and fervent in our prayers. 
And Paul adds in Colossians 4.2, continue in prayer, watching the same with thanksgiving. He gives a very simple imperative here. Pray. You must pray. You must be a people of prayer. And corporately, as the church, you must be a people of prayer. In Mark eleven seventeen, Christ says, My house shall be called of all nations the house of prayer. Oh, that the world would look on us as believers, on us as the church, and even on us as Westminster. And that we would be known to them as a house of prayer. Another reason prayer is necessary is because it is speaking to the God of the universe, the creator and sustainer of all things, your heavenly Father, and making your requests known. It's a sign of humble reliance upon Him and His sovereign hand to cause things to come to pass according to His will. Robert Shaw makes this very point. What then can be more reasonable than to acknowledge our constant dependence on Him and make daily application to Him for the supply of our wants? Friends, are you trusting Jehovah to provide for your needs in your life or are you trusting in yourself to be able to provide for those things? I can promise you that if you are trusting in yourself, then things will only get worse. Your needs will not be provided for. And you will only grow further and further away from the Lord. You must realize that you are fully incapable of providing even the very breath which you breathe. How then could you be so vain, so arrogant, so haughty as to think that you can provide for the other needs in this life? There's no greater act which expresses your absolute reliance upon the Lord than to constantly, fervently go to Him in prayer. He is your heavenly Father and He will provide for you. Ask and it shall be given you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone which asketh receiveth and he that seeketh findeth. And to him that knocketh it shall be open. Or what man is there of you, whom of, if his son ask bread, will give him a stone? Or if he ask a fish, will give him a serpent? If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your Father which is in heaven give good things to them that ask him? And finally, I want to very quickly address the objection of both the Arminian and the hyper-Calvinist 
against the necessity of prayer. Both of these groups have constructed a false understanding of what we as Reformed believers hold to concerning the sovereignty of God. Their objection goes something like this. If God is absolutely sovereign over all things, then why should we even pray? He's going to do His will no matter what, so it's pointless to pray. Friends, this objection is not merely absurd. It is absolutely wicked. Just because God is absolutely sovereign over all things does not mean that He does not hear and answer the prayers of the saints. It's not only the ends which have been ordained from eternity past, but the means have been as well. The means which God has chosen for His people to commune with Him, to express the deepest desires of their heart, to cry out to Him for help is through prayer. This objection against praying completely ignores what is absolutely plain to see in Scripture. Time and time again, the Lord commands His people to pray. Time and time again, we have examples of the saints, both old and new, praying unto the Lord. How is this objection anything other than the same lie which the serpent told Eve in the garden? Hath God said, Do not fall for the wicked schemes of Satan, but instead be on your knees before your God in heaven, making your prayers known unto him. Brothers and sisters, while this element of worship is widely acknowledged, I fear it is not widely understood. If we truly understood what prayer was, that it is the command of us that is commanded of us in scripture if we truly understood what we are doing when we go to the lord in prayer then we would tremble at the thought of neglecting such a sacred duty be a people of prayer pray with an awful apprehension of the majesty of God and deep sense of our unworthiness, necessities, and sins, with penitent, thankful, and enlarged hearts, with understanding, faith, sincerity, fervency, love, and perseverance, waiting upon Him with humble submission to His will as the larger catechism says. Friends, you must recognize that the New Testament church is to be a house of prayer. Let us now pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you and we do praise you and thank you that you have not left us uh, out of touch with you. 
that you've given us your word to communicate with us, but the Lord, that you have given us prayer as a means to communicate with you. What a glorious thing this is. That because we have been purchased by the blood of Christ, our prayers would be heard by the God of the universe. What an amazing truth that is. And so, Lord, let us never forget the importance of this sacred duty. That it is a means by which you commune with us. And Lord, let us be known as a people of prayer. And let this church be known as a house of prayer. Lord, we lift these things up to you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.